I hope you are having a blessed day. Welcome to today's teaching. I am Chris Oram. In today's lesson, Dr. Ruth will explain more about the cities of refuge and the towns designated to the Levites after the conquest of the Promised Land. We will also learn how all this applies to us today in the 21st century. Here is Dr. Ruth to explain more. Welcome to today's teaching. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. The Lord is good. I am Dr. Ruth, and we are in our study of the Old Testament books. Currently, we are in the book of Joshua, and you have been listening to me thus far. I hope so. And I hope that you have learned a lot thus far. We are almost to the end of this powerful book, powerful ministry of Joshua, powerful presence of the Lord. I have been blessed so far and I am open to be blessed some more. So welcome. In today's session, I will cover Joshua chapters 20. 21 and 22. So let us get into it right away. Joshua chapter 20. What is the gist of this chapter? The gist of this chapter is that thus far we had discussed how Joshua, under the leading of the Holy Spirit, had equally and fairly distributed. They possessed land among the 12 tribes of Israel. And we know that the Levites were not supposed to get into war. The Levites were supposed to be blessed by the Lord because they were supposed to serve the Lord as they serve the people. So in this chapter, we will learn about the cities of refuge in chapter 20 and then in 21, we will learn about the towns for the Levites. But before we get to the towns for the Levites, let us get back into chapter 20, the cities of refuge. And if you recall, we talked about this in the book of Numbers, chapter 35, specifically verses 9 through 34. So I really recommend you go back there and listen to that study about the cities of refuge. We also talked about this in the book of Deuteronomy, Chapter 4, verses 41 through 43. So now we are going to learn how the Lord would command Joshua to assign certain towns or villages as cities of refuge. Okay, so that is the gist of this chapter. We will learn about the towns allotted as cities of refuge. And this chapter is so self-explanatory. I'm going to begin by reading the first few verses that will hopefully remind you about the purpose uh, for the cities of refuge. Then I will uh, offer a few commentary. Joshua 20 verse 1. Then the Lord said to Joshua, verse 2, tell the Israelites to designate the cities of refuge as I instructed you through Moses. Verse 3, so that... Now, the Lord is going to tell us why he is de designating these cities of refuge. Okay, verse 3, so that anyone who kills a person 
accidentally and unintentionally may flee there and find protection from the avenger of blood. Now, let me pause here. We see God's justice and God's fairness right here. We talked about this in the book of Leviticus, the book of Numbers and Deuteronomy. God had given Moses the law. Anyone who willfully, purposefully killed somebody else, it was life for life. That person had to be murdered. We also talked about this in the book of Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The cities of refuge were to protect those who kill somebody accidentally, unintentionally. We will learn how the Lord is so fair and so just. He even placed provision in his law to protect the lives of those who kill somebody as an act of self-defense. So that is really what these cities of refuge were supposed to serve, to protect the individuals who kill somebody by accident without any malicious thought. Okay, verse 4. When they flee to one of these cities, they are to stand in the entrance of the city gate and state their case before the elders of that city. Then the elders are to admit the fugitive into their city and provide a place to live among them. Verse 5. If the avenger of blood comes in pursuit, the elders must not surrender the fugitive because the fugitive killed their neighbor unintentionally and without malice afterthought, just like what I was saying. So you see how this is self-explanatory. Verse 6, they are to stay in that city until they have stood trial before the assembly and until the death of the high priest who is serving at that time. Then they may go back to their own home in the town from which they fled. Self-explanatory. We see how the Lord is making provisions to protect the innocent victims from probably family members or close relatives who may want to come after them to hurt them. They have to present themselves at this uh, cities of refuge state their case and then the elders would listen to them and provide protective custody until the high priest dies and then they can return to their hometowns. And Bible scholars and researchers tell us that these cities of refuge were spread out throughout the entire promised land. The distance from one city of refuge to another town or village was about a day's journey. This was like a protective mechanism whereby if uh, someone or an avenger wants to come after the person who innocently killed their loved one, they would have to walk a long distance. And through the process of walking, hopefully word would have gotten out that somebody is after them. And Bible scholars also tell us that the Israelites took this so seriously that once a year, each tribe or, or each clan would assign workers to walk on the roads, the, the, the roadway leading to each city of refuge to make sure that there were no debris, there were, there were no uh, branches or anything blocking people's ability to walk clearly and visibly 
to these cities of refuge. So the Israelites as a community took care of the roadways leading to each city of refuge because it was so important that people who were innocent would go there for protection so that they are not killed innocently. Again, highlighting God's care uh, for the innocent and his justice and fairness. All right. And like I also said in the past, this really is a symbolism of our relationship with Jesus Christ, our high priest. When we are in trouble, we run to him for protection. So we see a similar thing happening here. So we go to verse 7. So they set apart Kadesh in Gilead in the hill country of Nepalia, Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim, and Kira Abba. That is Hebron in the hill country of Judah. So essentially, the rest of these verses went on to describe in details the various towns or villages that were assigned as cities of refuge for each of the um, uh, tribes there. And that actually brings us to the end of chapter 20, a very short and self-explanatory chapter, yet significant, highlighting God's protective care for the innocent, God's justice and God's fairness. So let me just read that last uh, verse there out of chapter 20. Verse 9, any of the Israelites or any foreigner residing among them who killed someone accidentally could flee to these designated cities and not be killed by the avenger of blood prior to standing trial before the assembly, just like what I had just concluded. Really, this is this is a major principle here. Really, we should not quickly accuse and condemn somebody before the person gets the opportunity to be tried. That's really how God even does it. You know, so... We live in a democratic country, if you live in the U.S., where, you know, no one is found guilty until they have the opportunity to go to court. And as believers, as Christians, we have to treat everyone fairly. No matter what people tell us they've done, we give people the opportunity to explain their side of the story. We listen before we quickly condemn people, before we quickly pass judgment. This is so important. It may sound insignificant, but today people do this all the time. They hear something about a brother there, a sister there, before they even give the person the opportunity to explain themselves, people judge them, people condemn them. God is not that way at all. God is fair, God is just. God gives everyone an opportunity. God gives everyone the chance to present their case to him. We should be likewise fair and just in our dealings with people, believers or unbelievers, giving everyone the opportunity for a fair trial. Really? Okay? And of course, God is the ultimate judge. At the end of time, all the unbelievers will be judged. So, uh, which is why we have to preach the gospel, tell them about Jesus Christ, so they can come into a relationship with God through Christ and avoid condemnation at the end. But God gives people the opportunity, just like he is giving unbelievers opportunities today to come to Christ so they don't face that final doom. Okay, so this brings us to the end of this short but powerful chapter and powerful message about God's justice and fairness. So we should emulate that in our dealings with others, believers and unbelievers. Friend, 
As some of you already know, this program is financially supported 100% by love gifts from listeners like yourself. So please, would you help us with a donation so that we can produce more programs and bless others? We need your financial support. To make a one-time donation, visit our website, drruthtanyi.org. That's D-R-R-U-T-H-T-A-N-Y-I dot O-R-G. Look for the donation button and donate right there. It is a very secure, simple, and easy process. Or, for more of an impact, would you prayerfully consider becoming a Christ-centered monthly partner with us? While on our website, you will find all of the information about becoming a Christ-centered partner. As a monthly partner, your regular prayers and financial support will enable us to produce more Bible teachings in order to reach more people and transform their lives with God's Word. For those of you who prefer regular email, you can send your donation to us. Here's the address. Dr. Ruth Tiny Ministries, P.O. Box 1806, Loma Linda, California, 92354. You can also email us with your questions about becoming a partner. Here's the email address. Info at drruthtanyi.org. That's I-N-F-O at D-R-R-U-T-H-T-A-N-Y-I dot O-R-G. Or you can always call us at 909-383-7978. Dr. Ruth Tanyi Ministries is a federal government-approved 501c corporation, which means that all of your donations are 100% tax-deductible, as allowed by the law. We thank you in advance for your kind donation and prayers. We pray for God's love and presence to anchor your soul today in Christ Jesus. Okay, we go straight away to Joshua chapter 21. Here is how Joshua would distribute the towns for the Levites. Like I have said throughout, this was also highlighted in the book of Leviticus, book of Numbers and Deuteronomy, the Levites were to receive their blessing or inheritance from the Lord. Uh, they were to receive it from each of the tribes because they were not going to be involved in fighting as soldiers. They were supposed to serve uh, God and serve the people. So in this chapter, the gist of this chapter is that we will learn about the towns that were given to the Levites and the priests. Okay. So um, we begin with Joshua chapter 21, verse 1. Now the family heads of the Levites approached Eliezer the priest, Joshua son of Nun, and the heads of the other tribal families of Israel at Shiloh in Canaan and said to him, The Lord commanded through Moses that you give us towns to live in with pastorlands for our livestock. Verse 3, so as the Lord had commanded, the Israelites gave the Levites the following towns and pastoral lands out of their own inheritance. Exactly what I was saying, that Joshua had distributed the inheritance among the 12 tribes of Israel. So now he is going to go into each town, take some of that there and give as an inheritance to the Levites. So each town 
or each tribe had an inheritance for the Levites. Okay, so that is what this chapter is going to explain in details. And again, self-explanatory. I will skip a lot of this and I trust you will go back uh, and study this because it is important. Even though I skip it, it's because it's self-explanatory. But I will highlight a few verses. Let us uh, highlight verse 4 here. The first lot came, again, Joshua is casting lots. I already described that. The first lot came out for the Kohitites, according to their clans. The Levites who were descendants of Aaron, the priests were allotted 13 towns from the tribes of Judah, Simeon, and Benjamin. So we see right away how 13 towns were selected from these three tribes and given to the Levites from that clan of Kohitites. Verse 5, the rest of the Kohath's descendants were allotted 10 towns from the clans of the tribes of Ephraim, Dan, and half of Manasseh. So verse 6 continues with the same pattern. Uh, the descendants of Keshan, their inheritance are listed there. We come to verse uh, 7, the descendants of Maria, according to their clans, they received 12 towns. You can read those there. Verse 8, we are, uh, so the Israelites allotted to the Levites these towns and their pasture lands. It's amazing how the Levites also received their own towns with pasture lands. This is such a blessing. Again, fulfilling God's promise to the Levites that he will bless them accordingly. We see that in fruition here. Verse 9 goes on to talk about from the tribes of Judah and Simeon how they allotted certain lands to the Levites there. You can read that on your own. We come down to verse 19. The total number of towns for the priest, the descendants of Aaron, came to 13, together with their pastoral lands. Verse 20. The rest of the Kohithite clans of the Levites were allotted towns from the tribe of Ephraim. You can read all of that um, in verse... 21, uh, we are told about the hill country of Ephraim, how they were given lands there. You can read that on your own. Verse 25, from the half tribe of Manasseh, they received uh, certain towns. You can read that on your own. Approximately two towns there for the Levites. We come to verse 26. All these ten towns and their pastoral lands were given to the rest of the Kohatite clans. Self-explanatory there. Verse 27, the Levite clans of the Kohonites were given. Uh, verses 27 goes on to describe in detail the division of the land for the Levites out of the clan of the Kohonites. You can read all of that beginning there in verse 27. And then we come to verse 29 from the tribe of Ishka. You can read there how the Levites were blessed there. Verse 30, from the tribe of Asia, you can see how the Levites were blessed there. Verse 32, the tribe of Naphtali. Boy, some of these names. <laughs> you can read their blessings there for the Levites. Verse 33, summarizes this. The total number of towns of the, of the Gehonite clans came to 13, together with their pastoral land. We come to verse 34, the Meherite, you can read that. Verse 36 talks about the Levites 
inheritance from the tribe of Reuben and um, from the tribe of Gad. We are told that there in verse 38. In verse 40, the total number of towns allotted to the Meharite clowns, who were the rest of the Levites, came to 12. We come to verse 41. The towns of the Levites in the territory held by the Israelites were 48 in all. So in all of those verses that I skipped some of them, this is a conclusion that the Levites inherited or were blessed with 48 towns in all together with their pasture land, an abundance of blessings. Each of these towns had pasture lands surrounding it. This was true for all these towns. Wow. Okay, we come to verse 43. Really, verse 43, in my view, is just so powerful. It summarizes all of the book of Joshua. Let me read this. So the Lord gave Israel all the land he had sworn to give their ancestors, and they took possession of it and settled there. Verse 44, the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their ancestors. Not one of their enemies withstood them. The Lord gave all their enemies into their hands. Verse 45, not one of all the Lord's good promises to Israel failed. Everyone was fulfilled. Glory to God. Powerful verses 44 through 45, which brings us to the end of chapter 21, highlighting how God met his end of the bargain. God's promises all came to pass 100%. God is faithful. God is faithful. Friend, do you believe this? If God can manifest his faithfulness in this manner in the nation of Israel, don't you think he wants to do the same in your life today? Yes, he does. Again, again and again, our role is to believe it in our hearts, obey him and trust him. God is so faithful. I mean, if this is not a clear picture of God, I don't know what else could convince you. When God says something, he does it. He means it. He doesn't waste a breath. <laughs> he doesn't waste a tea. He doesn't waste a period. When God says something, it will come to pass. You see, a lot of times people have been so hurt by people in the church, by family and friends because of their unfaithfulness. And then they tend to approach their relationship with God in likewise manner. Friend, that is wrong. God is so faithful, which is why the Bible tells us that we should really put all of our heart and trust in God only primarily. God will never let us down. God is so faithful. And the New Testament teaches us God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Referring to Jesus Christ now. But Jesus Christ was God 100% and man 100%. So God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. In the same way God was manifesting his faithfulness to the nation of Israel, he desires to do the same in your life. But you have a choice to trust him. Or not to trust him. The choice is yours. Not God. Because his character is faithfulness. It is up to us to believe. In Jesus name. 
Okay, that brings us right into chapter 22 here in the book of Joshua. So what is the gist of this chapter? In this chapter, which is really self-explanatory, and this is so significant, I will read a lot of the verses here, or I will highlight a lot of the verses here and comment on them. The gist is that we will learn how the Eastern tribes return home. Remember, we've talked about this over and over. The Eastern tribe, which is the Reubenites, the Gadidites, and the half tribe of Manasseh, had asked Moses to give their own inheritance before they crossed the Jordan. We talked about this in the book of Deuteronomy. And Moses, in accordance to God's will, had agreed and blessed them. And Moses had told them, that even though he had blessed them with their own land, they still have to cross over to the Jordan to help the other tribes to fight and possess the promised land. And these Eastern tribes, the three tribes agreed, and they crossed over to the Jordan and helped the other uh, tribes of Israel to uh, overcome and conquer the promised land. So now the conquest had been done. The the 12 tribes have received their inheritance. So this uh, tribe of uh, the Reubenites, the Gadinites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh are ready to cross back to the eastern part of Jordan and settled in their own land. So this is what this chapter is going to uh, teach us. So we get straight to it. Verse 1. Then Joshua summoned the Reubenites, the Gadidites, and half-tribe of Manasseh. Verse 2, and said to them, You have done all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded, and you have obeyed me in everything I commanded. Verse 3, For a long time now, to this very day, you have not deserted your fellow Israelites, but have carried out the mission the Lord your God gave you. Powerful. Already we are learning how this Three tribes, or Reubenites, Gadinites, and half-tribe of Manasseh, were faithful to their word. They kept their word. My goodness, how important for us to emulate today. There are Christians today who are quick to make promises, to help their fellow brethren, to do work in the church. But yet, when the day and the time comes, they back out. Really, that is not even godly. Surely, we need to be people when we think pray about something, God puts something in our heart, we verbalize it, we come through, we keep our commitment. So we see how these tribes did and Joshua is really thanking them for their faithfulness to that promise. Verse 4, now that the Lord has, the Lord your God has given them rest as he promised, return to your homes in the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you on the other side of the Jordan. So Joshua is saying that, okay, you have been faithful. You have manifested great military prowess to help your brothers to overcome the conquer land. Now you can go back and rest. But this is important now. He is about to advise them. He is about to speak some spiritual wisdom into their lives. But be very careful to keep the commandment and the law that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to keep his commands, to hold fast to him, and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. Let me pause here. Oh, my goodness. 
for all of you, for those of you, rather, or those people who have a tendency to minimize the teachings in the Old Testament. There are Christians who would always say, well, Jesus has come. Why bother about the Old Testament? Even though the Bible tells us that all scripture is inspired by the Lord to teach us his way so we can walk in righteousness and in essence live godly lives and avoid the mistakes that many people during the Old Testament era and even during the New Testament made. There are Christians who don't heed to that advice. They are all about the New Testament. But where am I going with this? This principle here, the entire Bible, Genesis to Revelation, have timeless principles. These principles here, written by Joshua, an ancient man, five to 6,000 years ago, is the same principle that the Lord Jesus emphasized in the Gospels that as Christians, really, all that God requires of us is to love him with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our strength, and to serve him. Okay? This is the same thing. You see how the Bible is just consistent theme? Joshua is saying the same thing. Love God, serve him, be obedient to him. Because when we love God, the natural byproduct is that we are obedient to him and then it becomes easier to serve him. So Joshua has really applauded these tribes for their military conquest. And here we see him reminding them of their spiritual responsibility, friend. So important, okay? So we come to verse 6. Then Joshua blessed them and sent them away, and they went to their homes. Verse 7, to the half-tribe of Manasseh, Moses had given land in Basham. You can read all of that. It's self-explanatory. These verses are going to just go to reiterate the, the land or lands that the, the half-tribe of Manasseh, the Reubenites, and the Gardenites had possessed. You can Read all of that, self-explanatory. and uh, But I want to highlight verse 8. I really like that. Uh, when Joshua sent them home, he blessed them, saying, Return to your homes with your great wealth, with large heads of livestock, with silver, gold, bronze, and iron, and a great quantity of clothing, clothing and divide the plunder from your enemies with your fellow Israelites. So he just highlighted their blessings right there. Okay, so verse uh, verse 9 there just talks about how the Reubenites, the Gardenites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh left the Israelites at Shiloh in Canaan and returned to their homes. You can read that. We come to verse 10. When they came to Gililoth near the Jordan in the land of Canaan, the Reubenites, Gardenites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh built an imposing altar there by Jordan. Oh boy, this is significant. I'm not going to tell you the story. I'll just, just follow through here. Verse 11, And when the Israelites heard that they had built the altar at the border of Canaan, at Gililoth, near the Jordan, on the Israelite side, Verse 12, the whole assembly of Israel gathered at Shiloh to go to war against them. Why is this? If you have listened to the book of Deuteronomy, boy, the, the western tribe of the Israelites 
wanted to go to war against their brothers on the eastern side that were implementing the principle that Moses gave them as discussed in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 13 verses 12 to 15, uh, verses 12 to 18. Meaning, if one of the tribes turn away from the true living God and start to worship idols, they have to go and demolish that tribe. This is what the Western tribes of the Israelites were, were about to do. They were about to put this law into practice, stated in the Mosaic law, in Deuteronomy chapter 13, verses 12 through 18, and go and attack and go to war and demolish the eastern tribes of Israel, the Reubenites, Gadianites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh for idolatry and for idol worship. But we will see how the Israelites would send Phinehas, son of Elijah the priest, to, to go and do some investigation. Again, another important principle. Before we condemn somebody, before we attack, we have to investigate. So we will learn how Joshua applied this wisdom to do that. In verse 13, uh, Phinehas, who is the son of Elijah the priest, went to this half-tribe of Manasseh, Reuben, and God to inquire or to find out if truly this imposing altar they, that they have built at the border of Canaan was to worship a pagan god. Okay? Verse 14, with him, referring to Phinehas, they sent ten of the chief men, one from each of the tribes of Israel, each the head of a family division among the Israelite clans. I like the way they did this. The high priest and the head of each tribe, family division to go to their brothers to investigate what this imposing altar is all about before they attack them. Boy, so important for us today. Like I was just saying, we should not just quickly conclude and attack somebody or badmouth somebody. We should go to them directly and investigate. And Jesus in the Gospels highlighted this same principle in Matthew, uh, in the book of Matthew, uh, chapter 18, where Jesus teaches about conflict resolution. So we're going to see how that is going to take place here before they attack them physically. Verse 15, when they went to Gilead to Reuben, God, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, they said to them, the whole assembly of the Lord says, how could you break faith? With the God of Israel like this, how could you turn away from the Lord and build yourself an altar in rebellion against him now? Verse 17. Was not the sin of poor enough for us? Let me pause. The sin of poor. We discussed this in the book of Numbers chapter 25 verses 1 through 18. Go back and refresh your memory. This was when the Israelites were deceived <laughs> and they got into sexual immorality and worship false God. Okay, remember we talked about this? And they worship the false God, Baal, Baal, whatever you call it, and they were deceived uh, by Balaam. We talked about all of this in the book of Numbers, chapter 25. And then the anger of the Lord burned, and we know that the high priest Phinehas served as an instrument for the Lord, I imposed judgment, and 24,000 people were destroyed that day. 
Go back and review that Numbers chapter 25, verses 1 through 18. So we see the same priest, Phinehas, being one of the ones who went to investigate from the other tribes what was going on. And now in verse 17, he is reminding them that have they forgotten the sin of Paul? How the Lord's anger burned and many people were destroyed? So he is about to tell them that don't do this because... We don't want the lost anger to come against the community. So that is really what is going on there in verses 17 and 18. You can go read that on your own. I just provided a summary for you right there. And then in uh, verse 18 actually continued. If you rebel against the Lord today, that is the high priest Fene has talking. Tomorrow he will be angry with the whole community of Israel. That is what I was just explaining. Verse 19, if the land you possess is defiled, come over to the Lord's land where the Lord's tabernacle stands and share the land with us. Phinehas was just saying that, listen, if for you to build this imposing altar against the Lord because you believe that your land is defiled, come back and join us in the West and worship the Lord freely. But don't do this. Because if you do this. The Lord's anger will come against the entire community. Against the 12 tribes. And we want to avoid that. So that is really what is going on there. And then is in verse 20. Phinehas went on to remind them. When Ashan son of Zerah was unfaithful. In regard to the devoted things. Did not wrath come on the whole community of Israel. So we see Phinehas using history to talk about how they have to avoid idolatry. They don't want the law to come against them. Oh, how significant. How significant for us not to forget. Okay, how God has blessed us or how God has admonished us to avoid evil. That is really what we see happening here. But all of that was a misunderstanding. And boy, I... It is awesome that Phinehas, the priest, had to go investigate because we will learn the response of the tribe of Reuben, Gad, and half-tribe of Manasseh right now, beginning in verse 21. Then Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh replied to the heads of the clans of Israel. Verse 22, the mighty one, God the Lord, the mighty one, God the Lord, he knows and let Israel know, if this has been in rebellion or disobedience to the Lord, do not spare us this day. So we see these three tribes confessing that, oh, no, 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 we did not do this in rebellion. Okay. And in verse 23, if we have built our own altar to turn away from the Lord and to offer burnt offerings and grain offerings or to sacrifice fellowship offerings on it, may the Lord himself call us to account. So these three tribes are saying that, no, 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 you guys, you are misunderstanding this whole thing. This altar is not to burn offerings or to sacrifice fellowship offering. No, 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 no. That is not what we are doing. Let's see, see uh, why they did this. Verse 24. No, we did it for fear that someday your descendants might say to ours, what do you have to do with the Lord, the God of Israel? Verse 25. The Lord has made the Jordan a boundary between us and you. You, Rebonites, Gadianites, you have no share in the Lord. So your descendants might cause ours to stop fearing the Lord. What's the deal here? So now we are finding out why 
The Rubenites, Gadianites, and half tribe of Manasseh bailed this imposing altar at the border. It was not for idolatry. It was not for burnt offerings and sacrifices. No, they loved the Lord. They did this as a witness between them on the east side of Jordan and the other tribes on the west side of Jordan. That way, when their descendants see that altar, it is a reminder that they are still one nation, the nation of Israel. They still worship one God. It, it is to serve as a witness so that when they have all died, their children and children, children, children will not come up and say, oh no, those of you on the east are different from those of us on the west. So essentially that is the bottom line. This altar was to serve as a witness that they are united for one God, the God of the heavens, the true living God. Okay, so that is really what this is saying. In verse 26, that is what they just said. That is why we said, let us get ready and build an altar, but not for burnt offerings or sacrifice. Verse 27. On the contrary, it is to be a witness between us and you and the generations that follow that we will worship the Lord at his sanctuary with our burnt offerings. So essentially, that is really what it is. The bottom line is that they built this imposing altar as a witness. That way, when they have all died, their descendants do not come and cause division. That, that imposing altar was like a witness for unity, that they, that they are together. All right? Don't you just love it when people seek other people's opinions when people seek other people's reasoning for doing what they do and then we come to unity that is the gist and that is the essence and that is the principle of this chapter we should not rush into conclusions we should not condemn people we should always listen to their side of the story we should always ask to listen to their reasoning their rationales before we make harsh conclusion and that is what we are learning here. A very timeless principle that Jesus Christ himself taught in the Gospels. Okay, that we should confront people first in a loving fashion to resolve conflict. We should not rush into harsh conclusions. Alright, so that is really what this chapter is teaching us. And verses 28 just goes on to explain the same thing. You can read all of that on your own. We come to verse 29. We see the Arubanites, Gardenites, and half-tribe of Manasseh confessing their allegiance to the true living God. Uh, they said, far be it from us to rebel against the Lord and turn away from him today by building an altar for burnt offerings. Again, they're just saying that we cannot do that. In verse 30, when Phinehas, the priests and the leaders of the community, when they heard all of this, they were pleased and they came back and they reported that to Joshua. And the unity was maintained, peace was maintained, and they all went home. They did not attack uh, their brothers on the east side of the Jordan. So really, that is what uh, the rest of those verses are saying. And you can go and read that on your own. And we come to verse 34. And the Reubenites and Gadianites gave their altar this name. A witness between us. That is the Lord is God. I love peaceful resolution. I love it. So we see how this, this is great principles for us. That Phinehas 
really applied the principle taught by Moses. He went to inquire and he explained to them that don't you forget what happened and they verbalized their rationale and it was pleasing to everybody and peace and unity was maintained that really they are all worshiping the same God. So that is a good thing. Okay. So that brings us to the end of that chapter. Okay, so what are the major principles we have learned from chapters 20, 21, and 22? Number one, God's faithfulness. Okay, this is highlighted. I'm sorry if you're tired of me saying this. Again, I will say this because it is true, because it is evident across every book of the Bible. So God's faithfulness to the nation of Israel. Uh, we see that here. And then also faithfulness of the tribes of uh, the Reubenites, Gadinites, and half-tribe of Manasseh, how they were faithful to go to war with their fellow brethren and conquer the promised land. We, we also learned about their faithfulness. They kept their word. Number two, God's care for the innocent. We talked about that, uh, about the, uh, uh, the uh, cities of refuge. We talked about that. And number three, conflict resolution. I've talked about that already. We are learning how this is important to God. I talked about Jesus teaching the same principle in the Gospels. So, and then, of course, number four principle here is obedience, obedience, obedience. We saw this in the high priest, Phinehas, and the elders. They went and talked to their uh, fellow Israelites from the three tribes of Reuben, Gadinites, and half-tribe of Manasseh, they obeyed the laws of Moses to investigate first before the attack. So those are powerful, timeless principles that are still applicable today. Major application, I have already said this, keep your word. Really, surely. You know, we learned how these uh, tribes of Reubenites, Gadinites, and half-tribe of Manasseh, they taught us the etiquette. The, the importance of keeping your word. When we say something, we should stand by it. Number one, we should not make thoughtless vows or thoughtless promises. I've taught this over and over in the book of Leviticus. The Lord takes our word seriously. We should pray and think before we make promises. Because once we make such promises out of the flesh, it's difficult to maintain. But when we pray... And we are enabled by the Holy Spirit and we make a promise to help a ministry to serve. The Holy Spirit will enable us to do so. So we should really pray, think before we speak. We should keep our word. It's important. Okay. And then we talked about the principle of resolving conflict. I already said the Lord Jesus teaches the same principle out of the gospel, Matthew 18, verses 15 through 19. You can go and study that on your own. We should, we should not quickly condemn somebody. We should approach them in a loving manner, investigate their point of view, inquire why they did what they did before we proceed to, to make a conclusions. And, and uh, the Lord teaches all of this in Matthew 18, verses 15 through 19. I don't have the time right now to teach on that. You can go back and study that. And then when we get to the Gospels, we will talk about this uh, more. But the bottom line, really, if somebody hurts you, if you're not sure, pray about it in love. Confront the person and ask them their point of view, okay? And 
And the last application here, which I have really highlighted, we should treat people fairly, justly as unto the Lord. Uh, because the Lord is a fair and just God. We, we learned how he really appointed towns for the innocent people. And uh, we have to likewise not condemn people until they have been tried in the court of law or until we have heard that side of the story. It's amazing how these last three chapters, the principles and application are just consistent. Justice, fairness, conflict resolution, obedience, which are still principles that are applicable today. So I hope you receive that in Jesus' name. Father, thank you that you're such a faithful God. Thank you for all these timeless principles that you are teaching us through your Holy Spirit. Father, we ask you to continuously strengthen us day by day, moment by moment, to apply all these principles into our lives. Because on our own effort, we can't do this. So teach us how to be men and women who depend on you 100%. Because we love you. We want to be obedient to your laws. So we rely on you today, tomorrow, and forevermore to strengthen us, to guide and lead us as we walk our daily lives as Christians. We ask all this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. And everybody says, Amen. Before we go, I want to remind you to visit our website, drruthtanyi.org. That's D-R-R-U-T-H-T-A-N-Y-I.org. And check out our event page, and sign up for one or all of our upcoming events. While there, remember to subscribe to Dr. Ruth's monthly Bible teaching e-newsletters so you can start receiving more life-changing teachings. If Dr. Ruth's teachings are a blessing to you, we would like to know that. So would you please send us an email and let us know? Here is our email address, info at drruthtanyi.org. That's I-N-F-O at D-R-R-U-T-H-T-A-N-Y-I dot O-R-G. You can also find Dr. Ruth's simple and practical teachings on YouTube. Just search for Dr. Ruth Tanyi Ministries, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and watch Dr. Ruth's Bible teaching videos at your convenience 24-7. Remember to click the notification bell on YouTube after you subscribe. That way, you will receive alerts when we upload more Bible teachings. I am Chris Horam, and may God's abundant blessings chase you today. In Jesus' name, amen.